Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 12th episode of Beyond the Echo Chamber. Well, not really welcome back. I mean, it's the 12th episode, period. I'm going to be honest, I recorded this intro about five minutes ago, and then it, like, disappeared. So if halfway through the podcast, I've searched the podcast, and I can't find the audio. So if halfway through you hear me doing my intro, I do apologize. Uh, I'm interviewing Josh Burns today. Very exciting. The MP for McNamara, my, my hometown... Uh, in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, he won the federal election in 2019. Good for him. Uh, not he won. I mean, he didn't win the whole federal election. He won as an MP. There's 151. Um, why am I getting a Australian politics person? Well, actually, I do have some international listeners. So you're welcome, I guess. No, this sounds mean. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. I've known Josh for a while now and he's always been very lovely uh, and there's an election coming up in the next six months to a year. So Josh is getting ready to prepare. Uh, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Sorry, I actually like, I don't know every time something goes wrong with the audio. This time I brought the wrong cable. So I got to his office to record the episode. And I was like, oh, oh no. And in the lobby. So I just put my microphone away and pretended that I didn't need a microphone for it. Um... And didn't tell Josh. So if the audio is bad, that is completely my fault. No one else's fault. I own up to that mistake. I hope you enjoy this episode. I did. It's a very long episode. Warning. Soz, if you... I mean, I get if you don't want to listen to it all. Um, I really enjoyed this. And I hope you too, too. I hope you too, too. Enjoy this episode. Bye, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Josh Burns. Hey, hey. Let, let's get straight into it, I say. Um, how did you get into politics? Like, what's your road? What's my road? Well, first of all, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Nice too. to chat. Welcome to my office. It's, it, this is not the, the best start for a, <laughs> a, a radio medium, but, you know, welcome to my office. Uh, so my, my journey into politics was one was a bit unusual and, and it sort of just started because I really wanted to get into politics. I, I, in high school, I was fascinated by politics, but I was never really involved in, in you know, political parties or student politics or anything like that. Uh, but I, I, I always loved it. I always found it fascinating. I'd always get into arguments with my friends and I'd always be on the progressive side of the argument. They always wanted to tell me how much the Iraq war was justified. And, oh. and I, I came back and said, I think this is crazy. We shouldn't be at war, uh, and and it was sort of this. It was this way and this sort of fascination with 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 discussion and debate and and taking a side in in issues. And I I and that sort of developed at a young age. But to get into politics uh, was was a completely different journey. So I studied politics and history at university, and then yeah, I still I still didn't really have a pathway. So I went overseas. I became a backpacker. And traveled and and uh, where did and you go? I went to the United States oh. uh, and and did a summer camp, which was which was sort of an eight week camp. Oh, one of the Jewish summer camps. Yeah, it was. Oh it was. God. Yeah, it was. It was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, I basically went water skiing because all of the kids didn't like that. They, they went every year. They were sort of 
not impressed by the speedboats on this magnificent lake. And I couldn't believe my luck that I got to, I basically got paid to hang out on these water skiing boats. Anyway, so I did that. I also went to Europe and, and then a bit to Asia as well. And yeah, that, that was, that was brilliant. I definitely recommend people, people taking some time to see the world. I know it's, I know it's hard to imagine at the moment with the coronavirus, but, but that'll, this will pass at some stage and, people will be able to travel again and to go and see the world and to experience other cultures and to, um, and to, to see different parts of the world it was definitely a great thing. And I definitely would recommend that to other young people, but, but yeah, I came back and I didn't really, didn't really have a pathway into politics. So I got a job in a publishing company, which was a good, good, really good job. They were a really good company. Uh, they, they looked after me, they, yeah, it, it was, it, I was really comfortable. I, I, you know, I had a nine to five and got paid pretty nicely and it was, it was good, but it wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. And it wasn't, Wait, was this post uni or during post uni, post uni. So I, I, I went to uni, got my degree, traveled, came back. What the hell do I do now? <laughs> got a job in the publishing company and for a couple of years was just sort of going through the motions. And then, yeah, then one day I was just. I was just like, no, nah, I've got to make a change. You know, I'm, I'm, I was sort of, at that stage, I think I was about 24, uh, 25. I had no mortgage. Uh, I was, I had a girlfriend, but who's now my wife, but, you know, we didn't have any real responsibilities. We didn't have kids or anything like that. So it was a really, it was a really good time to sort of try and make change. Mm-hmm. So I, I sent an email to my previous, to my predecessor, Michael Bambi, and just said, so we've never met before. I'm just a guy who is really into politics. I studied politics. Uh, what can I do to help? Uh, can we go for coffee, basically? And, and he said yes and met me for coffee. And he actually called me up on a Friday. I still remember. He called me up on Friday and said, can you come and meet me for coffee in about three hours? And I'm like, sure. You know? So I had to tell my boss that I'm actually going to go for coffee with someone and can I just leave, can I leave work to go and do it? Anyway, I then I then took annual leave from my publishing company and flew myself up to Canberra and worked for free for a week um, with Michael. Daniel. For Michael, yeah, just also to experience Parliament House, mm. uh, uh, you know, to, to to be there during a sitting week and to 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 yeah you know, to, to to see all of the things that I had studied and and it all unfold before you and all the personalities. Uh, it was it was. Um, it was great, and and I got a taste of it. So I then kept hanging around Michael's office like a bad smell, and eventually he gave me part time work. So I, I left, I left, I resigned from from the publishing company, and which was I got a full time, full time work, paid really nicely, took a massive pay cut, and started working part time for for Michael. And then he gave me full time work, and then. I ran as a candidate against David Southwick in 2014 Classic. and did pretty well and then met a few people, including a guy called Dan Andrews, who was the opposition leader at the time, who then got elected to become the premier. And he and his office were kind enough to say, would you like to come and work with us? And I said, absolutely. So I worked for Daniel Andrews for four years. And I did not know that. Yeah. I thought you just worked for Michael Danby until you were like, I'm running. No, no. I went, went and worked for Daniel and... 
a friend of mine was actually meant to be the member for McNamara after Michael. He was he was sort of the one who we were all going to support to try and take the seat, um, and and he he decided he didn't want to do it anymore, and he would support me if I wanted to do it, and uh, and so I yeah I then made the decision to to try. I mean, there's only 151 seats in the House of Representatives. There's not that many that that change hands each election. There's only a few, and then for, of them, there's not that many that Labor can win, and then there's even less that I could be considered as a pre-selection option for for those seats. So I thought, no, nah, I, I've got to take this opportunity mm-hmm. and try, and uh, and I was lucky enough to be selected and got enough votes internally within the Labor Party to be the Labor candidate, and then and then the real work started, and I had to convince enough people to to vote for the Labor Party in McNamara and and. Foolishly, they did, and and uh, and for the last just over two years, it's been my privilege to be the member for McNamara. So that's that's my shtick. That's my story. Love that. Um, why the Labor Party? Why not Greens? Why not Liberal? Um, well, I was always progressive. You know, I always 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 affiliated myself with the progressive side of politics, and um, and I never. I mean, I never had like my, my I never had a parent who was a Labor member who you know I inherited the seat off or anything like that. My parents aren't aren't really political. I mean they they they've, they've supported me on the campaign trail, but they're not really. That wasn't really something that was sort of forced onto me. I guess I guess the reason so Lib- the Liberal Party was never really an option. I, mm. I I just I find it too conflicting with with my values and and I guess. I guess why the Labor Party is, it comes down to a couple of different things. One is that I think that the Labor Party has helped shape modern Australia and it's helped shape the sort of experience that I've had in life. And, you know, like many people in the Jewish community, especially my grandparents were migrants. One of them was an asylum seeker. Uh, my parent, my father was born overseas. You know, we are a migrant country and within a couple of generations because of the opportunity that was handed out and that was created by policies, not by accident, by policies. Mm. Uh, my family was able to have access to education, have access to healthcare. Wages were good. We had the ability to, um, the ability to, uh, we had the ability to, um, so in the middle of this uh, interview, we've got a coffee being delivered, which is excellent. Um, so I'm going to, drink that but so you know so we had access to good wages good good living standards the ability to buy into the property market help create wealth and and my you know my grandparents left school at 13 and I was able to go to university and and become a member of parliament and I think that that social mobility is is in large part due to the policies of the Labor Party policies like universal health care Policies like access to university. You know, for my our parents' generation, it was it was free free tuition. Uh, Gough Whitlam brought in free universities. Uh, Daniel Andrews extended that to TAFEs in Victoria. Free TAFEs. I mean, making sure people have opportunities and pathways in life, I think, is really important. So that 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 was the first thing that that was really clear in my mind that the Labor Party had helped had helped shape my experience in Australia, and that that was really obvious to me. And then, you know, why, why not Green? Uh, the Greens, I mean, the Greens are an interesting political party. They're, they're becoming pretty old now. I mean, they've already been around for about 30 years and, 
and they are really strategic. They're really smart. There's a lot of smart people who work for the Greens, and and I, um, you know, I don't I don't underestimate them. But but the Greens, I think, for too often, my criticism of the Greens is that they they are content being a protest party, and they they don't, in my mind, seek to bring in enough people and, and a big enough coalition. They don't try and seek compromise enough because they want to hold on to their views and that's that's fine and some of them I agree with but but the Labor Party I think is is the progressive force in this country that tries to reach out to people and tries to take on the Liberal Party in areas where the Greens don't even really turn up you know in in, in outer regional towns in outer suburbia in different areas where where we need to take the Liberals head on and so it's hard to be honest it's hard to, to balance the needs of people in regional Victoria or Australia with the needs of people in inner city CBD Melbourne. They're, they're, they're different experiences in many ways, but in many ways they're not. And in many ways we're all Australian and in many ways we need an Australian government that can unite those, those uh, people from wherever you're living in the country. So I think, I think the Greens, while in many policy points, I, I, you know, I think that they, they make good policy points on, on certain issues, but I would also say that that my criticism of them is that they're not trying to seek and form government. And I don't want to be in this caper to be sort of throwing spears from the sidelines. I want to make change. And change is really hard. You know, I, I, Hillary Clinton used to talk about it, that change happens really slowly, incrementally, with lots of hard work. And sometimes it can be a laborious process. But I think that the Labor Party is truly dedicated to train to change and to being a change making force in this country. And and if you know, from having worked in a Labor government, they are I think it's a really worthwhile uh, a worthwhile cause and I hope to one day again serve in the Labor government. Love that. And but I mean, at least from what I've learned in my history lessons, could be wrong. Labor back in I think nineteen twelve, something like that, started as kind of a protest party like the Greens. I mean, they were protesting for workers' rights. Like, do you think the Greens could evolve to be like Labor? Um, I mean the Labor Party the Labor Party started as a organizing tool to to help uh, give a voice to workers' rights. And, and in many ways, that was about protest. It was about collective action. It was about about bringing together the workers who who individually were powerless, but together as a force, they were powerful. And and that's what that's what the Labor Party Labor Party's origins were. And 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 so I think I think in in that sense. Um, in that sense, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree that it was about protesting. I agree, I would say it was about about organising and about uniting people and and giving a voice to the many and and bringing people together. The Greens, the Greens could, and the Greens, um, you know, the Greens could grow and 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 you know, I, I, I watch them pretty closely and and um, and they are trying to grow. But if you look at the areas in which the Greens are really focusing, that they are, you know, they are not seeking to win government in outer suburbia. They're seeking to win a couple of seats in the inner parts of different cities, and and that's fine. I mean, it's a de democracy, and we, you know, it's important to have different voices. And maybe one day 
you know, the Greens will will be a bigger force than they are now. Maybe the Labor Party won't be. Who, who knows? Uh, our job is not to predict the future. Our job is to try and help form the best governments for Australia to make sure Australians can live the best lives possible. That's our that's our job. But but I do think that the Greens are at the moment absolutely focused on on not evolving in that way. They're, they're focused on solidifying their their core supporters. Uh, and and the, the biggest evidence I would say of that is is where you know look where they compete, look where they are trying to win government from, not win government, win win seats off. Uh, it, it's it's in the inner parts of the cities. It's not it's not in the liberal strongholds. It's it's often off the Labor Party. So yeah, there it's a complicated force. I mean, in many ways, in many ways, you know, the Greens are a voice on the left of politics in the same way that that One Nation and the shooters, fishers and farmers and others are on the right of politics. Now, I'm not comparing Greens with One Nation, right? Obviously, I, you know, I would never do a preference deal with One Nation, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll probably preference the Greens the next election. Um, but but I, w- I, would say that, I would say that the Greens, yeah, the Greens don't seek to, to, to try and unify the country. They're trying to win seats, I think, and... And that's okay. You know, we're in a democracy, but my job, and I think the job of the Labor Party is, is not just to do that, but really to form government. How do, we, how, do we, how do we change this country? How do we think bigger? Let's not think about just seats. Let's think about what do, we want it, what do we want the future to look like? What do we want this country to look like? What sort of government do we want to steer it? Do we want more of this sort of arrogant, corrupt, um, inca- incompetent government that we've got at the moment? Uh, I mean, I, I'm astonished at how how, you know, like irrespective of whether it was a Liberal or a Labor government, would still be doing the vaccine rollout. But these people are doing it so incompetently. Uh, not to mention last week we had the car parks rorts, which was on top of the sports rorts. I mean, these people are using public funds for their own political benefits. When you combine all of that with the fact that in many ways they are making this country less fair, there's less opportunity universities becoming more expensive, pathways for young people are becoming harder, young people are becoming harder and harder to get into the housing market. The way in which our, our government is, is lagging behind the rest of the world on climate change, when, when we need to be moving with the rest of the world, not just for the environment, but also for our economy, because the, the sort of investment that, that we've seen that's helped drive our economy in fossil fuels is, is is declining, and we need to look at what, where are the opportunities for Australia, and what are the what are the what's our economy going to be powered by in the future, and and all of these difficult questions, I think, point to the fact that the Labor Party is in the best position to lead Australia through the next challenges, and and that's what I'm focused on. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that 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 you know maybe people want to vote green, maybe they do. I, I you know that's that's up to them, and. Um, no, like no one can stop you when you're in the ballot box. You choose whoever you want to choose. But if I thought, my honest thing is the I really believe that the Labor Party is a, a is a is a movement and and a, and, a, and an organisation for good. It is an organisation that can create change in this country. And and you look at the sort of challenges that we have in this country. I think it's even more important than ever that we have a government that's focused on some of these issues. And do you think there is a future where Greens and Labor could form a coalition? Uh, it's a really interesting question. I mean, potentially. I think last time we did it, it was it was 
it set us both back. Oh, a it's long happened time. before. Well, the, the, there was an agreement. It wasn't a coalition, but there was an agreement between Adam Vance and Julia Gillard, and that you know that that obviously um, that obviously affected policy. And and you know some would argue it was really good policy. I mean, our climate reduction emission reduction policy was really good, but politically it also you know we've been out of government now for eight years, and there's no point just having great policy if you can't be in government. We had great policy going into the last election and we didn't, you know, we didn't get a chance to, to implement it. So I think, I think that the Greens and the Labor Party are, are different political parties. You know, we, we seek to do different things uh, in some ways, but um, maybe, I mean, maybe. I, I, I actually think that the Nationals in many ways are, I mean, not under Barnaby Joyce because he's a dinosaur, but the Victorian Nationals are um, the Victorian Nationals, I'm not sure if you saw last week, but they are really differentiating themselves from the federal Nationals. They were really, you know, they're calling for climate action. They're calling for um, farmers to be included in net zero. They are um, they are wild, miles away from, from the freak show that is Barnaby Joyce's federal National Party. Um, you know, like I, I, I don't rule out the Labor Party looking anywhere for, to help help form government. But, but I, I would say first and foremost that what we need to do is convince enough people to vote for the Labor Party and to form a Labor government and to give people the confidence that a Labor government will is, is the right choice for Australia. That, that's our job. You know, if I, thought, if I thought people should vote Greens, I'd be a member of the Greens. If I thought people should vote Liberal Party, I'd say, you know, I'd be a member of the Liberal Party. If I thought people should... Vote nationals. I'd be a member of the National Party, but I, I believe people should vote for the Labor Party, and it's it's because I think the Labor Party has helped shape modern Australia, and I think the Labor Party will be the force that helps shape the next 20, 30 years in Australia as well. Mm. So there's an election coming up between August and May. Somewhere, how, yeah. Somewhere, we don't know. Yeah. Um, how do you think, because, I mean, no offence to the Labour Party, I obviously don't stand Scott Morrison, but I feel like Anthony Albanese is quite irrelevant in the wider scheme of the Labour Party. Like, how do you want to make him more relevant? Because I feel like Bill Shorten was quite a... Everyone knew Bill Shorten, but I feel like no one really knows Anthony Albanese. That's a good question. Uh, Hard-hitting question. Uh, I, I would say... I would say one of the biggest issues with politics, I mean, politics has shifted so so much recently and, and the pandemic has been the biggest factor. There's no doubt about it. Right? The pandemic is, is the biggest thing in town at the moment and, you know, we're all looking for a way to get through it. But, but it is, I mean, half the country is in lockdown. New South Wales is still dealing with massive outbreaks. It's, you know, it's, it's affecting people's lives and livelihoods in a way that politics doesn't usually. Um, and I think, and I think one of the things is that people don't, when, you know, when you've, when you've got your business is shut down or you've got, um, you know, your schools, your kids' schools are shut down or, you know, what, whatever this pandemic has done to you, your appetite for, for combative politics is very limited. Much less so than usual. Uh, Australians have a short attention span for politics, and and sort of, you know, negative politics at the best of times. During the pandemic, it's even even smaller. Now that doesn't mean that we can't raise issues in the national interest, and especially around 
the vaccine rollout, putting pressure on the government, giving ideas about what they should be doing. I mean, we were saying in January that do more deals. Don't just leave it at AstraZeneca. Make sure you're talking to Moderna. Talk to Johnson & Johnson was the other one that we were saying at the time. And I think there was there was certainly room for constructive suggestions. And even at the start of the pandemic, the wage subsidy, the JobKeeper program, which was a hugely successful program. Absolutely. I'll definitely give the government that. Um, but but the government's original response was, no, 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 we don't want it. It was the Labor Party and the unions that was calling for a wage subsidy program in the early days. So, And then the government obviously flipped, uh, which was the right call. So I, I, I would say that I would say that politics has been politics has been limited and and Albo's ability to be this sort of hyper negative force in politics constantly being critical of the government and constantly being able to come out publicly and undermine the government's efforts in the pandemic has been very limited because most people don't have any appetite for that their lives have been too affected what they want to know is how we're going to get through this how we're going to fix this how are we working together and so so I think that's been a big factor but we also we also, Albo made a really important decision early on in the pandemic, which was we're not going to just be destructive, we're going to be constructive as well, and that we're not going to undermine the health efforts. We're not going to play politics and, you know, like what Morrison did with Dan trying to just pick on Labor premiers or Anastasia pick on the Labor premiers. Uh, Morrison, Morrison was hyper-political in his way in which he managed it, and we weren't. You know, even the way in which Gladys has had this latest outbreak, we didn't sink the boots into Gladys. It's... Labor, liberal, it doesn't matter when you're dealing with a pandemic, it's about saving lives. And and I think what that did, for the most part, is that it's kept us in a really competitive position. Now, we're, we're certainly not the favourites going into the next election, but but we're certainly in a really competitive... We absolutely could win the next election. And, and that is because of Albo's leadership in really difficult political times. So I think... As we see more of our policy being released, as more of our policy being um, brought into into the election cycle, I mean, it could be another year away or another ten months. Could be May next year. I think I think it is likely it'll be next year. So so you know you don't want to be ahead ten months out. You want to be ahead on the day. Mm. That's that's what you need to be, and we have to be strategic about about how we manage it. So yeah, so I think I think Albo has purposefully not not being destructive throughout the pandemic and that's given that that's that's meant that people will give him a chance uh, but we still have a lot of work to do about well what what are you know what are the, the other policies that we're going to be releasing we have we have done some real there's some really good stuff out there that we're going to do even things like rewiring the nation which is a which is about um, basically building a new electricity grid so that when you put when you, you put solar on your rooftop this new electricity grid is going to be able to take it much easier. It's going to be able to make sure that you're not you're not um, you're not punished for having your own smaller energy generation. That it's going to be about a much more integrated system, uh, bringing in cleaner energy from all different sources. Um, it doesn't sound like the sexiest policy, but it's really smart policy. And without it, we're not going to be able to move towards you know that 90, 100% renewables that we need to get to. And you know, and, and so the Labor Party is thinking about these things. What are the things that we need to do? Sometimes government isn't sexy. Sometimes government is is that boring but but important hard work. 
Um, so when you look at that, you also look at some of the local manufacturing policies that we've got, which is about making sure there's good jobs available in Australia, good manufacturing jobs, incentives for businesses to create and make things. It doesn't help just people having jobs on the factory floor. It also helps shape and create jobs for engineers and people who are thinking about the sort of products that you want to make, product development, research development. I mean, you're young, you probably don't remember too much when Australia had a thriving car manufacturing we industry. We did. We used to make lots of cars in Australia. Only, you know, Joe Hockey, only about six years ago, uh, seven years ago, did, did did Toyota, Ford and Holden leave Australia. But but with that, with the, with the end of the car industry, we also lost, you know, some of the biggest employers of engineers and of researchers and of scientists and of people who, who do the thinking behind it. And Australia, I think, should be a country that has those people in Australia. Uh, even if it's about things like making this mRNA vaccine, we have some, we have the intelligence here, but we don't have the incentives and the structures to help develop it, develop it, and manufacture it in Australia. But these things are these things may may not seem like uh, the sort of you know like like things you want to talk about every single day, but without them, our country is going to be held back. And I I really think that. There's some really good policy work that's already been done. I'm, I'm a part of some of the other ones, even the social housing policy. We're going to build social housing. We're going to build affordable housing. Um, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to make the federal government do things really, really differently to the way they are. So you know, I'm excited. And I think Albo, Albo understands the, the difficulty of politics in this, in, this, in this sort of, in this current settings and with the pandemic. Um, and you know, and and underestimate him at, at at everyone's own peril. I mean, people thought that Biden was not going to be the leader that we needed, and I, I would say that he's been fantastic. And and he won the election off off Trump, and his you know some of his leadership in both the handling of the pandemic, moving America and the rest of the world towards a, a you know a much cleaner and more sustainable future, changing the electricity market in America. Uh, pushing countries towards net zero emissions, uh, making sure that America is far more proactive in the in the rest of the world. Joe Biden's leading, and and people underestimate him. So, I would say to Australians, be careful with underestimating people because they might surprise you. That's certainly interesting. Um, I really enjoyed your speech regarding Black Lives Matter last year. I watched on Instagram. Um, However, what actions have you actually taken in your own life and the wider Labor Party, whether it's Victoria or statewide, national? Um, I mean, obviously, the, the big issues with the BLM movement in Australia revolve around Indigenous people in this country, and and the, the the most sort of the most sort of poignant areas are around deaths in custody, incarceration rates, education rates, um, and it's it's not an easy fix, but it, it must also be um, it must be spoken about, and I think that's what the, the the speech I tried to make last year was about was about acknowledging the fact that we do have issues in this country where whether they be due to attitude or due to economics, people are being disadvantaged because of who they're born to in this country. The the uh, the average life expectancy for an Indigenous person in Australia is 20 years less than a non-Indigenous person. And, and I think we need to be honest about that. And I think 
I think having these open conversations is the first step. Beyond that, I, I, I think that one of the big mistakes that we've made over a long period of time has been around assuming that we know better and we know how to fix things within the Indigenous communities. I mean, clearly we don't. Clearly, by, by forcing, forcing our, our answers to their questions has only led to things con, con, you know, continuing and, and issues remaining for, for Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So, the, 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 for me, I, I think, and this is, you know, the Victorian government has obviously got its own treaty program that's that's beginning, and it's and it's significant, and it's being, you know, it's it's a slow process, but it is leading our country in terms of the treaty that's that's um, that's being organised. But I think that federally, our biggest responsibility is to listen to what Australia's First Nations people are asking us, and what they were asking for is a voice uh, in line with the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which is a, 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 you know, a, a body that would help determine policies that affect Australia's first people and and that, that government wouldn't be the ones dictating to Australia's first people about what sort of things they need to help change and bring about change, that this would be self-determination and this would be uh, something that Australia's first people deal with in, and, and have leadership and control over, um, along with the two other asks of the Uluru Statement from the Heart being a Makarata Commission, um, a truth-telling commission about what actually happened in our history and what happened in Australia, as well as a treaty, uh, a, you know, a treaty for with our First Nations people. Now, there's discussions about what form that would make and what form, I know that there's different opinions about what, what form that, and I'm, I'm, I'm not... You know, these these are discussions that I think are best had within the indigenous communities, and and for people to to come to their for Australia's first people to come to their own decision about how the model and how things would work. But ultimately, what our job as federal politicians is to bring the full weight of our political movement and get behind and support more determination and self determination for Australia's first people, because. Every year, otherwise, if we don't, we're just going to have prime ministers continuously giving the closing the gap speech about how much we haven't closed the gap, and that's that's going to be, you know, if we like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We we need to step back and we need to relinquish sovereignty over our first people and and give it to our first people. And and there was a clear model and an ask made by obviously not all all indigenous people but by by a huge number of people in a way that was really unified and really um in good faith i think and that was the uluru statement from the heart and every year that it disappears into the past it becomes another year harder that we we are not having progress so i would say the things that we need to do first of all is bring about awareness and be honest about it be honest that there is an issue. And the second thing is, I think, is is not pretend that we have all the answers and, and, and actually step back and allow for more determination and more self-determination from Australia's first people and 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 First Nations. And if we do that, you know, maybe we might slowly start seeing some change.
And what actions have you taken in your own life? For example, like there's the pay the rent campaign in terms of like giving like one to 10 to 30% of your annual income. Like what actions have you taken in your own life? Ah, good question. Um, I mean, I have, there's a few local indigenous um, organizations that I've supported, uh, including the Torch and a few others that go into uh, some of these programs. Um, but I think my role predominantly as a federal member of parliament is to um, is to help steer the country towards far bigger progress. And, you know, my honest answer is, is that, like, yes, we can focus on some of the amazing organisations that are doing good things locally, right? Amazing. Um, you know, and, and that we have a number. Um, we also, you know, I also brought Pat Dodson here, who's the, he's the... Um, Senator from WA, who is known as the father of reconciliation, he gave a big lecture in Caulfield in McNamara, um, and it was all focused about about the pathway to reconciliation and trying to bring, you know, bring Pat and his wisdom and his words to our local community to help build awareness. So, you know, I did that locally, but I, I think my biggest responsibility, and people feel free to disagree with this, but I think my biggest responsibility is 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 Federally, and being a part of federal politics isn't about just supporting one charity over another. It's about what changes do our country need to make sure that we are making the systemic changes, bigger changes, generational changes. And I think that's that's predominantly where my role is. Um, but um, but if there's other good local organisations that you think we should be involved in, then absolutely send them over. Absolutely. And um, you've been really outspoken, especially on social media, and I believe you gave a speech in Parliament about, sorry if I pronounce it wrong, the Billowella family. Yes. Um, I mean, that's... Muragapan family is their surname. Oh, But they're from yes. Billowella. Yes. yes. The town of Billowella. Um, how do you... I find it difficult. Like, how do you approach this when... I mean, the Labour Party was the party that established Nauru and Manus. Like, I'm pretty sure under the party that well, at least the parents came to that camp and have been there for eight years. Like, how do you approach that? Uh, so so um, they weren't there for eight years. Um, they, they were living in, in, in Biloela. Um, the family was living in Queensland and um, they were on a temporary visa and basically that visa ran out and they were then moved to Melbourne um, in community... Or not in community, in, in detention. And then in the middle of the night, they were taken to Christmas Island and they've been there for a few months. Let's take a step back, right? The, I, I don't pretend for one second that, that the way in which we design our, our humanitarian intake program is, is a simple question, right? It's not. It's a difficult question. And, and sometimes it can be counterintuitive about how you know how we um, how we manage the politics of this? Yes, the Labor Party was the one who set up offshore detention. To take you back, the reason why was because we were having people being scooped out of the ocean on boats, constantly coming from Indonesia, and it was you know if you speak to Tony Burke, who was the migration minister at the time, you know he used to turn up to work every day, and he'd have names on a brief in his desk. And, and, you know, many of them kids and, and the, you know, the Navy hated it. It was, it was a disaster, right? The policy wasn't working. Now, I'm not saying that the answer has to be what 
Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison set up, right? It doesn't. And I'm going to go through some of the things that we would change if we were in government. But I also think that I also think that that this sort of assumption that that just because we don't want people to die at sea doesn't mean that we can't also have humanity when it comes to our asylum seeker pro program. So, and let me unpack that a little bit. Yes, the Labor Party did create offshore detention. Yes, we still, we still, that is still our policy. Now, do I like it? No, I don't like it. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's a really harsh policy, right? I really do. Um, but, but do I also want to see, you know, do I also think that, that this is a binary choice, right? You know, do we need, do we need to only accept that, you know, we're shutting the gates, shutting the borders, we're not going to help anyone, um, or can we actually look at other ways, other policies that help bring people to Australia? At the moment, there's 75 million displaced people around the world. You know, that, that number might be higher because of COVID. We're not going to be able to take all of them. So, so it, no matter which political party you are, whether you're the coalition who says that we need to take, I mean, you know, I think their number was about, on average, about twelve to 13,000 pre-COVID. The Labor Party wanted to bring that up to 25,000 at the last election, or just around 20,000 with a look to increase it. Um, and the, the Greens, I think, were sort of 40, 50,000, something like that. So even the Greens had a cap. What, what um, you know, that, that's as part of a total migration program of about 180,000. So when you've got family reunions, skilled visas, you know, people moving to permanent citizenship, all of that sort of stuff... It's a, it's a fraction of our policy. Not even the Greens think that the majority of our policy should be humanitarian intake. So, which is, you know, which is, like, again, we're talking about imperfect policies for a really difficult problem. I mean, how do you say to 99.99% of displaced people, sorry, we don't want you, which is which is what all three political parties are saying. And, and that's something that we, you know, we really have to be honest about. Like, we are saying that, and it's, and it's shit. Right, it's a shit thing to have to say that people who are stateless or being persecuted don't, you know, we, we don't have a policy that would support them in Australia. That like that's what everyone's saying at the moment. But I think when you flip that and say, well, at the moment we're not doing enough, and I don't want people coming to Australia by boat or by you know in these in risking their lives. But we do need to have a generous humanitarian program and we do need to do more and we need to go and be proactive in the sorts of people that we think should have a right to come to Australia. Now, whether they be, at the moment, people in Afghanistan who are being targeted by the Taliban because we were playing a peacekeeping role and now we're leaving that country after we just completely tore it into, into a thousand different parts, whether it be uh, the you know, the Rohingya Muslim population uh, in Southeast Asia, um, whether it be who are being persecuted, whether it be the Uyghur Muslims in, in Xinjiang in China, whether it be students in Hong Kong, uh, whether it be um, many other people who are facing dislocation and, and persecution, how are we proactively, as part of the international community, bringing people to Australia and providing enough safe haven and enough support so that we're doing more? And I think that's really the question. How much can we do? And are we constantly pushing to do more? Now, does that, does that, is that a perfect solution? No, it's not. And, and, and it's shit. This is shit. The world, 
the world is is a is a really shit place for a lot of people, and it's not a safe place for a lot of people. But Australia has to do more than we are at the moment, and then that takes you to this this family. I mean, I, I just think this family has been, you know, the product of such awful politics. I mean, to take your mind back, the Medivac bill, which which Karen Phelps brought into the federal parliament last parliament, and uh, and the Labor and the crossbench passed that bill through the House of Representatives, and it started meaning that people were being brought to Australia. Well, one of the things that Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton said was that that's going to bring, mean that it's going to, you know, the borders are going to be run over and there's going to be, you know, it's like we're going to go back to the old days. We need to set up the Christmas Island Detention Centre. And that's when this family were brought from Melbourne to Christmas Island in the middle of the night, completely unnecessarily. And Morrison did this ridiculous press conference in Christmas Island where he like looked at the empty empty cages and and just was inspecting Christmas Island in a way that was so political and so, you know, so fraught that we, we just didn't need to open it up again and spend the millions of dollars doing it. So this family was taken there for a while there. They were the only people being held on Christmas Island. These girls were born in Australia and, and they were basically the, you know, the ramification of the federal government losing control of the House of Representatives not from a policy sense, but from a political sense, if that makes sense. Not just, like, they weren't in any danger. We weren't going to have our borders run over. Morrison and Dutton just tried to scare everyone. And then they opened up Christmas Island. So I would say I would say that, like, these people have been treated appallingly. These girls had all these health issues. You know, that, that like, they had the youngest daughter, Tarunika, um, had, had dental issues and then recently had untreated pneumonia. Like... What the hell, you know, let these people stay. The minister makes discretionary decisions all the time for people who are allowed to stay. It's really common for that to happen. In fact, I would, you know, I'd hazard a guess that it happens like weekly, daily. You know, whenever the minister has a discretion to make, make decisions, the minister would constantly be making these sorts of decisions. I think because of all of their circumstances, these people have been treated appallingly and should stay. And then the next stage is how do we how do we change our broader migration program? The first thing we need to do is end indefinite detention. People can't be staying in these places for eight years. I mean, we did set up offshore detention, but that's not indefinite detention. You know, we need we need to people get people out of these places. You can't you can't. Um, I mean, I, I think whether you did it onshore or offshore. It doesn't matter. You can't leave people in detention for eight years. I mean, people are staying onshore at the moment in detention for eight, you know, for years. It's it's appalling. Um, so I think we need to end indefinite detention. In 2013, Julia Gillard and John Key, who's the, who was the Prime Minister of New Zealand, organised a deal to take 150 asylum seekers each year from Australia's detention system into New Zealand. Now, it's not a perfect solution, but it's it's a pretty good one. Um, and, and it would have meant that we would have had basically no none of the people on PNG and Nauru still in detention today. You know, we're, we're talking about 20, 150 years since 2013. Now, I get that this isn't perfect, right? And, and often governing isn't perfect. And sometimes you need permission from the electorate to be able to install politics policies. But something like that, I think, is like given, given how people have been treated, the fact that we haven't done that, I think, is a you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, so 
you know, Jacinda has made it clear that she would honour that deal still, the amazing Jacinda Ardern, and and we should. So the other thing, there are there are a whole range of other issues we should, you know, the processing times for people, people who are deemed to be genuine asylum seekers are put on temporary protection under, it was originally a Howard policy, Morrison brought it back. We'd end all of that. We'd make sure that there is a more generous humanitarian program. We wanted to do something called a community-sponsored program where... On top of our humanitarian program, the community would be able to sponsor another 5,000 places of, of asylum seekers. So people who care about this issue would be able to dig into their own pockets and help sponsor and bring an extra 5,000 people to Australia a year. You know, it was, it was good policy and we didn't get a chance to implement it. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think that we wouldn't continue this politics of fear. Does it mean we'll get everything perfect? No, but... Um, but we can make serious changes and stop politicising this issue and try and come up with good policy that will actually make people's lives a bit better and do more. And can Australia do more? And under a Labor government, I really believe we would. And although it's not in your electorate, it is in Victoria under Daniel Andrews' rule, if you want to call it that. Do you have any plans to, I don't know, appeal to Daniel Andrews regarding the men that are still locked up in the Park Hotel? Because, I mean, Daniel Andrews said this was a refugee safe zone, but they're locked up. Well, that's not, it's not Daniel Andrews' decision. It, it's the federal government's decision to hold them in detention. They're not, they're not um, there as custodians of the state government. They're there under the federal government's supervision. So um, it, it's, it's a federal government's policy and... And I would absolutely urge the federal government, just like they did with a number of others. Uh, and Jed Carney and I moved a motion in the House of Representatives last sitting a couple of weeks ago about this very issue, mm-hmm. um, about the people who are... These are Medivac. The ones who are in Australia are med, came under the Medivac law. They've just been sitting there. Dutton said it's so much more expensive to keep them there than it is to just release them into the community. Like, absolutely, they should be let into the community. I mean, it's insane. It's completely mm-hmm. insane. Um, and and it's really expensive to keep them there for no reason. So, um, so I would I would say to, the answer to your question is yes, but I wouldn't do it to Dan. I'd do it to Morrison. Do you support the redesign of the McNamara Territories? Because I'm not hearing a lot about this in the media, but I find this very interesting. So, so McNamara, uh, the final boundaries are pretty similar to the ones we've got at the moment. Um, so we, we basically we, we there was original plan to bring in and make some changes, to bring in Paran and South Yarra, but that plan was was withdrawn. And so now basically it's the, it's the same seat, except we, we unfortunately give back Windsor to Higgins. Um, so we've still got Caulfield, Caulfield North, Elstonwick. Oh, um, I thought you were just cutting off Caulfield in the road. No, we, 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 we keep Caulfield. When uh, did all this happen? Last week, last week. So um, we, we're keeping Caulfield and... The Liberals and the Greens teamed up and made a submission to, for us to, to lose Caulfield, um, and I mean the, the Greens did it because they wanted to make the seat more competitive, and the Liberals wanted to do it because they made the seat more competitive for the Greens, which is you know, this is how political parties work, and it's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think I do think that that um, there's no doubt it gives us. A bit more of an advantage than, than than the proposed redistribution that wasn't that wasn't um, that didn't happen. But um, like, there's no such thing as a safe seat, and and the, and and anyone who pretends that, that, that there is 
is destined to lose that seat. Like you, ha- you have to work hard. And, you know, I mean, I live in Caulfield. It's, it's where my home is. My daughter goes to school um, just outside in Elstonwick, so, or Kinder. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that, like, I'm, I'm still living in the electorate. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but, you know, it doesn't change really anything in terms of, yeah, you have to work hard. You have to try and represent all different parts of the electorate. I mean, McNamara is this incredible melting pot of different people. You've got lots yeah. of public housing. You've got lots of wealth. You've got a high proportion of young renters as well. Lots of university-educated people. Lots of pockets of disadvantage. Lots of people who work in the arts, in the creative industries, in in hospitality. We have a huge tourism, uh, and we did before the pandemic, huge tourism and, and sort of cultural precincts, especially around St Kilda. We have some of the highest highest proportion of homelessness outside the CBD as well. Um, but we also have some fantastic organisations that do a lot to combat that. We have a large LGBTIQ uh, community. We also have a large Jewish community. Um, like it's, it's, it's got lots of things from all different parts of, the, of, of, of Melbourne. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a privilege to be the member. And, you know, you, you have to like... Redistributions come and go. There'll be another one before I leave politics, um, or maybe you know, maybe not. Maybe I'll get kicked out this time. Who knows? Um, but hopefully, I'll, I'll get a chance to keep keep being the member. And look, they happen. It is what it is. You, you serve in to be able to serve in the federal parliament is, is a huge privilege. And um, and if it means that I, if it means that you know, I get to still live in my own seat. That's that's. That's a bit of a relief, but uh, yeah, but even if the boundaries changed in the way in which they proposed, you know, it, it wouldn't have changed, I don't think, one thing between now and the election. You still have to work hard. You still have to respect your opponents. You still have to respect the electorate and respect the views. And you also have to put a viewpoint forward about what you think the future of the country needs and what are you going to do if you are elected and what is your political party going to do? Mm. And that's, you know, that, that doesn't change whether old boundaries, new boundaries, left boundaries, right boundaries. Amen. Final question. Sure. Um, what's your favourite TV show slash movie? A classic question. Wow. Classic question. All right. Here's, here's a, here's a, um, I have a real soft spot for Rick and Morty. Fair. Yeah. Rick and Morty is a great show. And, um. It's a bit of a sort of, well, it's a Monday, so the third episode of season five comes out oh, today. Oh, exciting! So it's um, that's a bit of a sort of indulgence of mine. Um, I do like Rick and Morty. Favorite TV show? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't have time to watch that much TV. Um, but when I do get into a series, I binge it a little bit. Um, I really liked Schissel. That was good. Oh, yeah. That was a really cool, cool. Um, Cool series. What else have I watched? Are you a West Wing stan? Because like you're a politician. Oh, is that like too much for you? No, West Wing was heaven. It was great. It was great. Is it in any way accurate to politics? So, so West Wing is based on this sort of fundamental idea that everyone is decent and good in politics, and and um, House of Cards is based on this idea that everyone's fundamentally Machiavellian and evil and sort of conniving. 
I reckon the truth is somewhere in the middle and, yeah. and you've got people who are really great people in politics and you've got people who are in it for the wrong reasons. That, that's probably the truth. Interesting. I love both of those shows. They're really good shows. Yeah, yeah. What other good political... Um... You might have seen The Politician, Ben Platt. Yeah, I, I've seen a few episodes. I sort of drifted off after a few episodes. But that yeah. was that was, that was was really well done. Um, there's this, there's this, there was this fascinating show called Boy State. Have you ever heard of it? I really want to see it. You Is should it, watch it. I thought it was a movie. Yeah, I think it was like a feature-length doco. It's about this like camp in Texas where there's like thousands of boys who go and basically try and like the whole thing is like it's an election, right? And like who gets appointed the governor of the camp? Like that's what the camp is. And it's and it goes to the personalities and these people who are Yeah, it, it's just it's just really clever and and all of the drama and all of the politics. Um that that was a that was a cool show. I'll take a watch. Well thanks so much for coming on the show. Look, I had a great time. I learned a lot. Thanks so much. It was my pleasure. And uh, we'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you got to this point, like, kind of impressed it by you. I don't think I'd even listen to the whole thing. No, like, obviously listen to it, but it's just... It's a lot in it. Um, once again, I love feedback, even if it's constructive feedback and it's mean. I like. I want to hear it. I've gotten some great feedback from people all over the world. So email me at beyond the echo. I say not at as in okay. Beyond the echo chamber at gmail.com. Please let me know how you feel. How are you feeling about the podcast? Nice or bad? I don't really care. I. I mean, I do care. Um. But like, obviously, like I want to hear constructive criticism or nice criticism. Oh, does nice criticism exist? That's a whole other topic. I'm rambling. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day.